Have you ever been reading your Bibles, perhaps from a different translation, and you're reading what your mind tells you to read, but you are thinking what you used to read in the King James translation, or one of the other translations? Well, I just want to use that analogy to say you're not seeing things backwards today. I am speaking now in the middle of the service instead of at the, the almost the end. So um, don't get any ideas that we're at the end of the service. That's what I want you to. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, will you turn please to the second chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And for the, the meditation or perhaps the message this morning, I'd like to speak to you on the theme of the titles of the word. We have been going, for those who are visiting with us, we have been going through a series on, for Christmas, speaking about the word. The word became flesh. The word before it became flesh. That is Christ in heaven. The word after it became flesh, Christ on earth. The kind of world that the word came into. It was a world of darkness. And we come to this morning, we want to look at the titles of the word. It is very interesting, I think, when you think of it. We like titles. I remember when I got my master's degree, I think I told you this before, uh, I got my master's degree and my son was very excited about his father getting a master's degree. And so he said to me, Dad, are you going to get a doctor's degree? I said, uh, I don't plan to. I, I plan to keep on studying, but I don't, I don't, I said, you become too specialized when you get a doctor's degree. You have to be specialized. You know everything about one thing and almost nothing about anything else. He looked a little bit disappointed. I said, do you want your dad to get a doctor's degree? He said, yes, dad, I would. So I said, why do you want your father to get a doctor's degree? He says, dad, Dr. Thurton sounds a lot better than Master Thurton. <laughs> uh, the, the, boy, the boy is right now thinking of getting his doctor's degree, and I don't know what I want to say to him. But degrees mean a lot to us. It is what gives you opportunities that you would not have, a few would get those opportunities if they didn't have the degrees. But a degree is really important. It tells whoever you're dealing with that you have taken time to study, to come to the place where, in fact, when my daughter graduated from high school, she didn't go to her, her high school graduation. I was, I almost choked her. I said, you spent all those years in high school and you're not going to go for your graduation? Well, I soon understood that, you know, my day is not her day. <laughs> Kids only want to get, get it and get out. They don't want to worry about how. I love those things. Every year, I shouldn't tell you this. <laughs> every year, I spend almost every Saturday morning from February to April looking at graduations around the world. I've been to India, I've been to Ontario, well, I've, I've got to go to Ontario. I, I was telling John after Christmas uh, last Sunday, I, 
I was off in, in Washington with my son, and I said, just to let you know, I had to take a trip to Vancouver. I have to be able to say serviette without people asking, what are you talking about? Or washrooms instead of restrooms. So um, that's the Canadian in me, I, I suppose uh, you, you know that. But I, 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 want, I want you to understand that you know, when we are going across the border, we had to take out a piece of, inch, uh, not instrument, but um, literature to give to the guys there as we were crossing the border. It was important. It got me into the country. I'm saying that degrees can get you in places where you would not be able to get without them. And when Jesus came, the angel said that there were degrees with which he came. I ask you to turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 2 as I read just a few verses from Luke chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Luke 2, 9 to 11. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. We spoke of that on Christmas last Sunday night. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, title number one. Who is Christ, title number two. The Lord, title number three. Three titles. And, and simply because it's a meditation more than a message, I haven't filled this with everything that's in those words, as we shall see in a few moments. So titles are important. When John, when John was writing about Jesus and his contemporaries in John chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus was speaking and the... the the Pharisees and the Sadducees heard him and they said, where did this man get all this knowledge from seeing he hasn't been to college? See, to be a Pharisee, you had to, to go to college. You had to go to the, to the school where, where you'd be taught by the rabbis. If you're a scribe, you had to go through the, 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 where, where you would learn how to take the scriptures and interpret them. And Jesus never attended any of these. And because he didn't attend any of those, they didn't take him seriously. Where did he get these things, seeing that he's never been to college? Well, little did they know that the mind they have and developed was a mind that was a gift to them at birth because of him who, I think it was C.S. Lewis, who said that whoever denies the existence of God denies the very one who gives them the privilege of thinking at all. Let's look at this morning. His first title is what I call his redemptive title. His redemptive title. Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. What a word. A Savior comes to save. This is what we're told in Matthew 18, 
and Luke 9, 19 and 10, Mark 10, 45, that he came into the world to save it, to save it. What, 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 how can a Savior save the world? There is an assumption there that somehow something is wrong with the world. He's talking about people, not about trees, not about boats, not about homes. He's talking about people. The word world there is speaking of the existence of those who occupy the world. And he said he has come into the world to save. The angels declared that he was the Savior. Let me give you one of the great minds of the past, Dr. Joseph Parker, who said of this word Savior, Unto you is born this day a Savior. The world did not need an advisor. The world had been advised and advised itself almost into hell. The world did not ask for a speculator. Everything that man can do has been done, and men sat in darkness of their own wisdom. The world did not need a reformer, a man who could change his outward and transient relations, an engineer that would continually devote his time for the appropriate remuneration, for the readjustment of the wheels and the polys and the various mechanical forces of society. The world needed a savior. It is not an official title. It is not an image you could robe in scarlet and bow down before on account of its majesty and haughtiness. Savior is an angel with tears in his eyes. Why? Because angels knew that before he came into the world, he was the Lord of majesty sitting on the throne in heaven. And when he came into the world, here was the creator of the universe in form of a babe whose destiny was the cross. That's the only way he could save, to become like one of us. He couldn't die as God because God cannot die. He had to die as a man. That's why he was born as a babe. But that babe was a savior. He came into the world with this consciousness. Jesus lived again and again with the consciousness that he was in the world to bring salvation to a lost people. As I mentioned, we were in Seattle this past week, and what was it doing in Seattle? It was raining. And we got lost a couple times. I should... If I were a good husband, I'd say, I got lost. But I was with my wife, so I said, we got lost. But we didn't panic. You know why? Ah, you know what I'm going to say. I got my GPS with me. And I said to Lois, I said, you know, when we, we took the wrong turn, I thought, take it easy, Winston, you don't need to worry. So I drove to the side of the road and readjusted myself, and the little lady in there said, no, you can go. <laughs> and I went, and we got there. Listen, Jesus Christ is more than a GPS. 
What he is is the one who knows how the world runs. He knows what the world needs. God was conscious, if you please, of the need of the world in which he was sending his son. And he didn't send a reformer. He didn't send an adjuster. He didn't send any of these things. He sent a savior. Because, my friends, that's what we need. You know what I heard this morning on Channel 12? I heard of a mother who fed her two-year-old baby pot. Two years old. My friends, when, when, when my son, my daughter, were two years old, we were having the most wonderful time with these children, not feeding them something that would destroy their lives. That's darkness. That's, what, that's the kind of world he came into. The world where people were confused, where people were without any guidance for their souls. And so he became the Savior because he came to redeem. That was his mission. He lives with the consciousness of it. And please listen to me. He came then, and he's still doing it now. We, we look for an advisor. We look for a reformer. We look for the right president. We look for the right governor. Ladies and gentlemen, we need the right savior. That's what we need. It, it, it sounds so innocuous to say that receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord could change your life. That's what he came to do. Change mine. Change many of yours sitting here. Has it changed your life if you do not know him? He came as Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. But I want you to see something quickly here. This word is a militant word. It's a very militant word. Listen to what Matthew writes in Matthew 1.21. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I'm looking at the word save there. That's a militant word. To save means that he had to confront sin and its author, the devil. He had to confront them. He had to meet them on their terms. It was, it was Adam and Eve who could not stand the tempter when he came. But when Jesus Christ confronted Satan and sin, he met it head on. That's what it means to save. It, it means to go into a place where, where people are held captive and break the power that controls their lives. And give them an exit out of that so that they are able to begin anew. So that they can start all over. So that he can give them a life that had purpose. Answers the four questions of our existence. The four questions every culture, every person must answer is this. Number one, origin. Where do I come from? Number two, purpose. What am I doing here? Number three, what am I to, be, what am I to do? Not only what am I doing, but, but where do I go? What gives me direction in life? And number four, destiny. Where do I go after death? 
Those four questions must be answered by every culture, every man, every woman, whoever he or she may be. And Jesus confronts everything that holds you and me captive and sets us free from them, for he came to save us from our sins. And ladies and gentlemen, please hear me when I say this. I repeated it last week. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make good people better. He came into the world to make dead people live. He came into the world to save us. To save us. On the way here this morning, Lois and I were listening to a program, and I knew the story, but I listened attentively as the man told the story about Horatius Bonar. A lawyer in Chicago who sent his wife for a vacation. And over as there were, and in that day, 1875, 76, in that day, you didn't take a plane, you didn't take a jet, you didn't take the train. You had to take a ship. And as they were crossing the Atlantic, the ship encountered a storm. There was a collision. And Mrs. Bonar with Spafford. I'm sorry, not Bonar. My mind is telling me you're saying Bonar. It's Spafford, Horatio Spafford. And Mr. Spafford didn't hear anything from his wife for about a month, which in those days, again, there was no iPhones. He finally got a, a telegram from his wife, alive but alone. The ocean had taken the four lives of their children. And Mr. Spafford, on the way over to meet his wife in Ireland, was called by the captain of the ship that was crossing the ocean at that point. He said, I think this is where the, the ocean took the lives of your children. And, and he went back into his room, having just crossed the body of his four daughters, and he sat down and he wrote a song that we sing today still. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. That's what a Savior can do. That's what he did with death. Mr. Spafford did not become angry at God because something happened to his children. He was rescued from despair because when Jesus Christ confronted sin, he destroyed the power of despair. It's a militant title, that redemptive title. It's one of mission, one of militants. But there's a regal title, the regal title. I, I love the word regal, of course, being from Canada. In fact, part of my time in Vancouver was, was uh, looking at the, a little bit of um, Harry and his new girl, well, his fiance now, and I don't always look at those things, but I was just curious to see what he was saying. He didn't say much, but uh, 
um, that, that's just that kind of British in me. Those shall call his name Jesus, his redemptive name. You shall call his name Christ. Christ is the Greek expression of the Hebrew word for Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed. Whenever the word Messiah is used, it was talking about one who was given a special calling, a special responsibility. You anointed someone for service in a specific way. And Christ was called the Messiah in Greek, uh, in Hebrew, the, 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 the Christ in Greek. It means, my friends, if you anoint someone to be recognized as king, someone had to anoint Jesus. Who did? Did Peter or James or John? No. God anointed his own son and made him to be the anointed one, the king who would come into the world. This is why when the Magi's went to, to, to Jerusalem, they asked uh, Bethlehem, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Because he was anointed by God. He had this privilege. He had this, this, this anointing which made him unique. God had not anointed another person. But he anointed his son. Let me give you three incidents of this this exclusiveness of this title. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27, for truly against your holy Savior Jesus, whom you anointed. That's Peter speaking. Whom you anointed, talking with God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 30, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. I love this one. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. When God is addressing his, his son returning from his mission, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you above your fellows. No angel has ever been anointed as Jesus was because no angel is king. Angels are creatures. Angels are messengers who do what Jesus wants them to do. That's why when, the, when the, the apostles said, don't you want us to, to, to call angels and, and, and deliver you from what is being done? Jesus said, I, if I want them, I can get them. I don't, I, they, they're, they're there, ready to do what I want them to do. But see, friends, his royalty is not only exclusive, it is eternal your throne is a throne forever and ever. I'll tell you what this means. This means that when Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven, he went back not as a babe. He went back with flesh and blood like you see me. Not a spirit, but a person. And what, what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden... Jesus did and the cross. And so he took back that glorified body with him. So God anointed him as king, flesh and blood king, whom one day we will see 
and we will recognize him because in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that they might be there, that they might see how much you love me. And there is a love relationship with the Father and the Son because God anointed his Son King forever that nobody will be able to understand until we get to glory. A.W. Tozer would say that's a truth better felt than telt. <laughs> you can't fathom it, friends. He went back as a man because he came to die as a man. And that, that, that human being, man, human being, woman, who comes to Christ will go back to heaven and wait for the day when he will give us a body like his own glorious body. He will be the king. And lastly, we see his uh, redemptive, his regal. Now we see his ruling his ruling title. What a title this is. You shall call his name Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. The word Lord is a very, very interesting word. Let me give you the meaning of it. The meaning of that word, it comes from a, a Greek word, and, and, and I'm not trying to fascinate you, but if you get the idea of it, this word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S or U-S, whichever one is correct. And the word has a meaning so vast that you have to study the scriptures. When you, when you sing of Christ the Lord, and I'm quite sure that unless you have done some studies, it doesn't enter your mind that you're dealing with someone that far outweighs our imagination. Because that word kurios gives us a meaning of someone who has inherent authority and power. It is not someone who has a title conferred. You know, coming from a British system, there are certain people who are given the Lord's knight, the lordship. You can become a lord when the queen um, um, taps you on the shoulder with a sword. Or you can become a lord when, when you win a certain seat in parliament or when you get a certain position. This is not so. I love, I love in the second chapter of the book of Exodus, where Moses goes to getting ready to go to, uh, to Pharaoh. And, and Moses said to God, whom shall I say sent, sent me? And Moses, God said, tell him the Lord said. The Lord said. And so Moses said, that's not going to work. Tell me something else. And he said, okay, I am that I am. If that didn't confuse the matter, I don't know what did. <laughs> See, that word Lord, my friends, comes from a word which means to exist without support from anything exterior. The word means to have it in yourself. In theology, it's a word called aseity, A-S-I-E-T-Y, which means to exist without support so that God, Christ, looks to nothing outside of himself or themselves of the Trinity to exist. Nothing. He has life with himself. That's what the word means. Not to be dependent not to be able to fail, 
None of this is true of Jesus. Let me give you how this word is used quickly. In John chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, Thomas is meeting Christ after the resurrection. He was not at the first appearance of Christ, and he told his friends, he said, if, okay, the only way I'm going to believe that Jesus is alive is if I see him and I can put my fingers in the, in the wound. And so Jesus met him a week after, eight days later, and he met Thomas. He said, Thomas, I want you to put your finger in the wounds in my side. And if you read the New Testament from the original, let me su suggest to you that the fingers of Thomas did not touch Christ. He didn't have to. It, the, the text doesn't even give us the idea. Listen to, listen to it. And after eight days, Jesus um, met with his disciples again, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came to the door, being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, look into my hands, reach your hands here, and put it in my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing Thomas said, my Lord, doesn't tell us that he touched him. There was the absolute sense of who Jesus is. If he was dead in the grave, and Thomas knew this, for three days, and now he's standing before me alive, he has to be God. Because only God has life in himself. So he cried, my Lord, Kurios, you are the governor of life. You are the principle of life. You are the principle of life. You are the, you are the living principle. Nothing is equated to be equated with you. That's what Thomas was saying. In John chapter 13, verse 13, this Lord takes off his outer garment and put a shaft around him and began to wash the disciples' feet. He came to Peter and Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And Peter said, just give me a bath. And Jesus said, you, don't, you already had a bath. And here's, here's the application, friends. Too many of us, too many of us have received Jesus as Savior, but we refuse to bow to him as Lord. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if, if I don't wash your feet, you are, you are having a standoff with me. And unless, unless you're ready to submit to me, and that's why Peter said, I wouldn't want to do anything else. And in verse 13, Jesus said, you call me Lord, and so I am. I am. The very same idea of the word used in Exodus chapter 3 where God said, to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. So there is the meaning of the word. Let me quickly, let me quickly close with two illustrations of the word. May, may I, may I, may you allow me to read C.S. Lewis is talking about Jesus Christ as Lord. I, I love this. I just had to read it to you. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would not either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he's a pouch egg, or else he would be a devil from hell. 
you must make the choice. Either this man was the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and you can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. That's the meaning of the word. And here's the illustration of it. That title of ruler is a very powerful word. It's a majestic word. Because Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. Why? John 1, 3. All things were made by him, and without him nothing came into existence that exists. <laughs> All things were made by him. So that, that he spoke and creation came into existence. And then he equipped men with wisdom to think and to develop all the things we are enjoying today. He gave you your body. He gave you your mind. You exist because God wills that you do. You don't exist by your own choice. I didn't say I would like to be born here or there. I, well, I won't say much more about it. But my friends, what I want you to understand is that creation and all that is created is under the control of Jesus Christ. Please listen to this. Long ago, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, the days in which you and I are living... He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to be heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, speaking of Christ, not of angels, and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Gravity exists because God spoke it. Not because it was, it was discovered, not created. He holds everything. You know, have you, have, have you, ever, have you ever thought, my, you know, we were driving back yesterday from Seattle, and as we were coming, um, you know, I looked at the sky on the one side, it was raining. On the other side, the sun was trying to shine, and, and you just got this feeling that you were between two worlds. <laughs> and then we got to one place where we saw the Columbia River as we were driving by. And I didn't, my wife was preoccupied with something else and I was sitting there and I was just humming away. I didn't sing this, but I could have. This is my father's world. It belongs to him. And what he has kindly done, says Psalm 8, He's kindly released it to you and to me to take care of it, not to abuse it. Not, 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 to, be, not to be cruel to the creation, but to use it. Again, as C.S. Lewis said, we must be careful to understand what God has given to us for refuge and what he has given to us for food. The majesty of the title. Secondly, look at his redemption. His redemption. That's what this word means. God made him Lord and Christ, as I said before, because he was crucified. Because he was crucified. Listen, 
God has placed Jesus Christ in the center of creation as creator and redeemer. And we read in John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them he, Christ, gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. For whoever shall call upon the Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, you know, people like to say, just a simple prayer. It's not a simple prayer. Because you see, my friends, what this is, is saying, when you come to Christ for salvation, you recognize that he had to be Lord to die for you, and you will enjoy him as the Lord of your life, not simply a Savior. He has to be the one that has control. Many, many people, they don't mind having a Savior, but don't talk to them about the Lord because they want to run their own lives including you and more. That's what we are. We are autonomous being. But there is one greater than us, friends, the one who holds our lives in the palm of his hands. He reaches out to you this morning. God sent him as the Savior. He wants to be your Savior. God sent him as the fulfiller of his promise that a Messiah would come. He wants to be the one who fulfills the promises of God in your life. God sent him as ruler until he becomes the conqueror of our wills and our lives. He's still not the Lord of all. He can be Lord in heaven. He can be Lord in the universe. But I, the, this, this blows my mind that it is possible for me, like Peter, to say to the Lord, not so, Lord, but every time we say not so, we defeat ourselves, not God. Not God. Someone said God is the only one who knows how to humble us without humiliating us. And there are times when he has to do that so that you and I will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, as we continue in this service, we want to grasp something of the saviorhood of Christ. This one called the Messiah. But oh God, how we want to know his lordship. He rules the world, says the Christmas carol. We sing it once a year and we forget it after that. He comes to make his power known as far as the curse is found. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray that the Spirit of God will speak to someone in this place this morning, whoever he or she may be, that they will believe in their hearts, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and that they have asked him into their lives. This is what the gospel does. It's an invitation. May we respond to it in Jesus' name.